One of the things I've often struggled with as a pastor is this. Why is it? Why is it that the faith that so many folks hold so dear often doesn't seem to produce any noticeable change in their life? And I don't intend that to be criticism or an indictment. Believe me, I start with myself. I often mystify myself in regards to this question. I wonder why the faith I hold so dearly, the faith I treasure, doesn't often produce a noticeable change in my life. I am often my biggest frustration when it comes to change. So having asked this question, I have some suspicions, and part of it is this. I suspect part of it is our misunderstanding of grace. As the late author Dallas Willard often liked to put it, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is only opposed to earning. In other words, you and I cannot earn God's love or grace. It's free, unconditional. But that doesn't mean that we can't put some effort into my own spiritual growth and development. For example, a farmer wants to reap a fruitful and bountiful harvest, but he has to put in the effort of sowing and cultivating and nurturing. An athlete wants to have a healthy and conditioned body, but she needs to put in the effort to exercise and practice self-discipline, and if, if it works out, to show up at the gym. So what I know is that I often find I want the fruit, and I want the growth of the spiritual life, but I don't often want to put in the effort on my part. I just want it to happen. I don't want to make changes. I just want God maybe to change the way it's supposed to look so it'll be according to my own view. I want the growth and the development of my character to be automatic, but me wanting it to be so doesn't always mean it will be. So that's one suspicion. I also suspect that we may sometimes see the life of faith as just biding our time. And this is something that I have to I have to be careful as I say it, but we bide our time until we pass on and receive our ultimate reward, which is heaven. Now, I say that to say that is a very important part of our faith. That's the hope that we have. But if the only reason I came to faith in Christ was just so I could go to heaven, well then, when I came to faith, why didn't God just take me then? I don't mean to be crass, but why if that's the only goal? Maybe it's because there is something within all of us that God intends to do with us while we're here as we live to recreate us in such a way that we change and we grow and we are fruitful and we flourish and we bring that to the world. And then in the end, when we pass, we have that ultimate reward that we truly do experience, as Mary explained here about her friend this morning. It's very real and it's very comforting, but that is not the only goal of the spiritual life. So what I'm discovering and realizing is that this life of faith, our spiritual journey, is as much a hope for the future and forgiveness of sins as it is this journey of restoring us back into the humanity God intended us to be, a humanity that knows both how to flourish and how to love. Now, the Apostle Paul, I'm referencing the verse at the top of your bulletin, where he wrestled with this in one of the early churches that he served, the church in Thessalonica. Like a lot of Christians at that time, they were convinced that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Even Paul believed that. And when they realized that probably wasn't going to happen, some of them became discouraged. Some of them turned away from the faith, and some of them began to question Paul's credibility. They'd say, you said Jesus would return, excuse me, you said Jesus would return, and he hasn't. And so they began to be very disillusioned with their faith. For his part, Paul continued to encourage the folks at this church to encourage their faithfulness even in the face of persecution. 
And then I read the words from our bulletin that Paul wrote in the beginning of that letter. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And then he adds this, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. In this local faith community that Paul was dealing with, that dealt with suffering, persecution, disillusionment regarding the return of Christ, and just the everyday challenge of living the life of faith, Paul affirms this, that their spiritual journey is making a noticeable difference in their life. And this noticeable difference is simply this, that of a flourishing faith and a growing love. And could it be, and this is my hope, that a noticeable difference in our lives, both individually and corporately, is that of a flourishing faith and growing in love. Now, again, you've noticed that that's at the top of our worship bulletin every Sunday. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is the first time you've actually noticed it, but it's actually there every Sunday morning. And it's there mainly as a reminder that we can experience a life in which we are flourishing in our faith, but flourishing in all accounts and growing in love. In fact, I would say that an intentional focus on these two areas would have a tremendous impact both on our personal growth and our spiritual development as a faith community. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, this theme of flourishing has become very significant for me, both personally and as pastor. And it's become a theme that guides my energies, shapes my priorities, and helps focus my work as a pastor. Essentially, every day, not every day is perfect, but every day, when I wake up, when I engage my work, I often ask myself this question. How will this help us flourish, both individually and as a meeting? Because what I find, because I find it in myself and I may find it in others, I often see many folks languishing or not thriving and people of faith. And I ask myself, how can we help folks see their life and their faith life as a resource towards helping them flourish in life and live well? And to this end, it always becomes my goal to help us discover what it means to live lives that are emotionally whole and healthy, lives that are energized spiritually, lives that are engaged fully. At a personal level, when I am flourishing in my faith, and again, it's not every day. It's a lot of three steps forward and two steps backward. But when I am flourishing in my faith, I find that I am increasingly becoming more emotionally whole and healthy in my life. In fact, I'm becoming more self-aware. I'm aware of my reactivity. I'm aware of my immature responses. Now, the key is, do I do something about them right away? Not always, but sometimes I find it just to be the grace of God that I'm aware of it. But I'm aware of my emotional lack of wholeness. And when I'm flourishing, I'm more emotionally whole and healthy. I have an energy for life that comes from this soul level, an energy that feels more like aliveness, and my life feels engaged and that it's making progress, and it doesn't feel like it's stuck and in neutral. And when this happens, I find that I'm living well. I'm not languishing in the past or in my regrets or failures. Life takes on this deep meaning and significance, and I find I end up giving more than I end up taking. And I feel as if my life is producing positive fruit, and my character is deepening, and there's a part of me which really just simply longs to live in the authenticity of what is real, and what is honest, and what is plain, and what is simple. This is what flourishing looks like for me. On my great days, I got all that covered. On my not-so-great days, this is what I long for. And what I know is by longing for it, it's possible. 
So the question for you, at least at this point, is what does it mean for you to flourish in your life? What does it look like for you? How do you feel you are languishing? And what would it look like for you to thrive spiritually? You may be in a tough place right now. Spiritually, you may be in a tough place emotionally. You may be in a tough place challenging circumstances. But that doesn't mean that we can't flourish and you can't flourish. You may be in a tough place grief-wise. But that doesn't mean you can't flourish. The possibility that we can is always held out for us because I believe that's what God intends. And when we're flourishing, we bring that flourishing presence to all we do at work, in our relationships, our family relationships, and our calling and place to the world. And and to all of that, we bring wholeness. We bring health and energy and vitality and engagement with life that is infectious and it's encouraging to others. And when life isn't going as well as we would hope, our flourishing deepens our capacity to be resilient and to persevere. And there are times that when I'm flourishing, I hear God better. I hear God differently. When I say differently, I hear God in a way that's intuitive, and I know God is speaking directly to me, and I need to hear this, and it feels real, and it feels like something that is for me. Now, this isn't sanctified self-help. I hope you realize this. I've become convinced that it's God's intent and design that we flourish, and not just for ourselves, but the whole world needs a flourishing presence through which the glory of God is manifested. Again, we look around us, the, the places we engage, the places we go, the people we talk to, the people we interact with, everything about life, I'm convinced it needs a flourishing presence in this world, that we bring a flourishing light so our world can flourish. In your bulletin, there's a quote. I'll uh, quote part of it. Mark Laberton, um, an author, writes this. The God made known in Scripture and incarnate in Jesus Christ desires flourishing people in a flourishing world. This is God's intent and commitment. And God created humans to flourish by co-laboring with him in this endeavor. We are meant to be the primary evidence of the flourishing love, grace, and truth in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the key there. You and I are meant to be the primary evidence of this flourishing love, grace, and truth in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And I believe when God is at work in our life, it's in the places in which it intends for us to flourish. We live lives of emotional maturity. We have this energy of soul in which we feel alive and we are engaged in life in a way that, that, that engages who we are, our gifts, our talents, and our abilities, and our passions. Now, if there is a key mark of a flourishing faith, it's that of a growing love. They go hand in hand. Paul thanked the Thessalonians for their flourishing faith and growing love. And the two, they can't be separated. So if one is flourishing in faith, they will grow in love. If you are growing in love, you will experience a flourishing faith. And I know what that kind of love would look like for me if I got to define it. I would probably try to get away with as little as possible to be easy on myself. That's why I don't define it. But the scriptures offer me a different way of seeing what that love looks like. And it's a way that's beyond just the sentimental. Here's kind of a compilation of what the scripture says. It's a love that exhibits patience and kindness. In other words, who in your life could use kindness from you today? Who in your life could use some patience on your part? It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude to others. It doesn't demand its own way. It doesn't get irritable quickly. Now, that's the one that always trips me up. 
because I never consider that to be a category of how to love because it's easy to get irritable very quickly and I just pass it off. But there's something about loving and flourishing that invites us to think about how quickly do I get irritated. In fact, a really good mark of love is think about the person right now that irritates you the most. Quit looking at me. No, think about the person that irritates you the most. And love them as deeply as you can. And love them as openly as you can. And what does that look like for you? It doesn't keep a record of every time you've been wronged. This kind of love never gives up. It's always hopeful. It rejoices when truth wins out and things are made right. It's a love that doesn't pretend but really loves others. It shows up in the way we honor others and we honor the image of God in others. It's a love that shows up and we just don't talk about it, but we manifest it in our actions. Especially when we come across those in need, those who are marginalized, those who lack, and often those who are in poverty. That's why I need the scriptures to show me what love looks like. What I just described was a compilation of 1 Corinthians 13, Romans 12, and 1 John 3. If I didn't have it to guide me, I would get by with as little as possible, and I would call it a day, and I would say, that's enough. I think I've really stretched myself. And by the way, the people that we often need to start with are the people closest to us, the ones we live with, the ones that we're in relationship with, the ones that we sit beside the pew with. It's easy to love the ones that we have no real connection with. It's easy for me to say, I love the whole world. But to love the people closest to me can often be the biggest challenge. But what a flourishing life and presence we could become if we paid attention to the kind of love described in the scriptures and manifested in the life of Jesus. I would suspect that when we flourish in our faith and grow in our love, it would make a difference in the world in which we live. So I began this message with this question. Why is it that faith, for so many folks, the one they hold so dearly, doesn't seem to produce any noticeable change in their life? And I don't know. For some of you, it may have. I see it. I know it. But for some of you, you may struggle. For some of you, you may wonder. For some of you, you may have issues in your life that you just can't seem to get past and to get over or to get through. And... I guess I'm here to say that's the part, that's the places God wants us to get through. And God wants us to meet head on. And God wants to help us in so we can flourish. I think it begins with a seeking faith that flourishes and grows in love. And as it happens, life begins to work. And we begin to live well. And then has implications for all facets of our lives as well as the kind of presence we bring to this world. So we look at our bulletin. Top of our bulletin. What does it have to say? Hear these words. Dear brothers and sisters, we always thank God for you, for we are thankful that your faith is flourishing and you are all growing in love for each other. Is my faith flourishing this morning? And is my love growing for all those around me and all those I'm in relationship with?